Uh, this is a year of reformation to be reformed. Okay, reformation, all right? All right, so it's the year of reformation, and uh, this is week four. Amen. Out of 52 weeks, you've got 48 left, all right? 48 weeks left of uh, being reformed by the end of this year, and that is our plan. The messages and the sermons uh, for this entire year have already been planned before this year between me and the Lord, amen? So, so far, we've talked about being reformed through joyful surrender. That was week one. We talked about being reformed through introspection and meditation. That was week two. And we talked about last week being reformed through inspiration, all right, the breathing in of the Spirit of God, um, how God breathed into us life and how the Word and the law and then Christ being made flesh all combines together with us having a wonderful Spirit of God inside of us, causing us to be inspired and not just motivated. Amen. Yeah. Well, we looked at the difference on last week in great detail between motivation and inspiration, and we found that as believers, we need inspiration. Yeah. And motivation only happens in spurts. But if you are inspired by God, yeah, then ultimately um, you'll, you'll always be moving in the right direction. And motivation just gives you that push. But if you have not been inspired by God, when the motivation ceases, so do you. And so you're always hunting a new motivation. As we discussed on last week, motivation is an external force. It's something outside of you that is constantly, you know, the law motivates. I don't want to go to hell, so thus I'm going to stop having sex like that. Do you understand? And that is only short term. Right? And it only lasts a little bit. Right? And then you fall, you feel bad, you come to church, uh, squishy, squishy, squishy tears. Uh, I'm never doing that again. And that is motivation again. Right? And then when that falls off, when the motivation wears off, because motivation is short term, and if you're not inspired, then you too fall with the motivation. All right? And so on last week, a lot of you guys came to the altar for inspiration. How do you feel? Yeah. Are you feeling more inspired today? Yeah. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, is constantly pushing you even when your motivations tail off. Amen. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. And if, you, if you're not, it's all right. It's all right. We still, this is week four. All right. We not done reforming yet. Okay. All right. So this is just another aspect of reformation. And today, <laughs> I want us to look at reformation through intentionality. Reformation through intentionality how we are reformed through being intentional. Amen. Uh, today, uh, I can't really preach this topic, okay? So um, <laughs> it's going to be very uh, teachy, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, it won't be preach. It won't be teaching. It will just be teaching. Um, primarily because it is going to involve you at a greater level than other messages in the past. Some messages you can just hear it and take it in. This message you're going to have to process as I talk to you about it. Amen. So that's why you need your books, your notebooks. All right. Preferably one that you keep all the time. But if you don't have one, just a regular scrap of paper is fine. Just hold on to it because you're going to need it. Amen. For the probably the rest of your life. All right. Let's move on. Um. <laughs> Uh, intentionality is a catchphrase that is very popular these days along the topics of self-help. All right, it's, it's in the world, it's equated with uh, to work hard at creating the life you want. All right, 
uh, and that is what intentionality is. Um, and, and it may involve in secular uh, veins um, the wisdom of making lists, buying all the planners, getting a life coach, landing the perfect job, and this is all a part of that intentionality uh, of the world. And um, when we look at God and being and living intentionally as believers, it may be a little different. Amen. In the world, that type of life where you are intentional um, in, in, in your, your vision boards, intentional in, in, you know, getting that job that you wanted and all those things, it will inevitably lead to burnout. Because as you're trying to create the life that you want, which is what the secularism says is intentional living, having a vision of the type of life you want, and then organizing your life in order to get that, that will inevitably lead you to burnout apart from God. It's just, it's just a fact. Because you're going to have to do so many things. And you're going to feel like it is your responsibility to do all of those things. I need to eat right. I need to work out. I need to get another degree. I need to, I need to then try to uh, network. I need to start being out more. I need to start being in more. I need to start. And just, don't look at me because some of y'all already fell for, fell for this. You come to church, but you on them Instagram prophets. You on them Facebook prophets. You already ain't got a church to start. Who, who told you, right? Who is holding you accountable? Hello, somebody. Y'all be like, I'm just eating this. Mm. And so then you try everything, and then you get tired. And what do you do? Go right back to your old habits. And it's like, dang, oh, I was supposed to be intentional about my life. Yeah. 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 Right? That, but nobody told you to be listening out there like that. I mean, you got a whole church home. I mean, golly. All right. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm not going to get petty. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Inevitably, you will have burnout and burden down because no matter how hard you work, you can't live intentionally without putting God first. It is impossible for you as a believer and probably impossible for the world to live intentionally without putting God first. And I know that sounds duh, but I want you to underline putting God first because in most cases your intentionality is about putting you first. And you have to check, is this about me or is this about God? And did I cleverly reword, it's about God, but it really is about me. Like, technically, God will want me to, see, see, see that? That was you, that you just tried to make it about God, but it was, it was you, all right? Because anything that you think you want, you also think God wants for you, all right? But that's not always the case. Remember, his son hung upon a tree and died. So just because something is unpleasant or painful, or not desirable, because Christ said, please, you can pass this cup, does not mean that it is not for God and for you, right? But intentionality in, in the world will say that whatever you desire, whatever you want, and whatever's on your heart that you really want, you know, as a part of your heart, then that is also what God wants for you. And that is tricky because a man's heart is deceptive in how many ways? All, All of his ways, All right? And who could know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and I search the mind. So you are telling me that I'm passionate about this and it's been on my heart forever is not saying anything to me. You think you got some grand revelation about how this is so for your life. And I'm like, mm, that, that, I, what is the condition of your heart? How have you been living in surrender to the Father in order for me to know that that thing that you just said is really something for you? Because if you haven't been living in surrender to the Father, then you shouldn't trust what desire you have on your heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's just simple, right? Yeah. 
right? I, I've, I've been living all crazy. Now I want to say, but this I know God wants for me. Do you? And should you trust it? And then you bring it to me like, don't you agree? <sighs> yeah, whatever, whatever you say, right? If it's something bad, I'll tell you. But for the most part, should I go for this job or that job? Mm. Should I quit my job or go to that? In some cases, you don't even come to me because you're not even sure if it's God. And you know it's just something you want. So you come to me after you've already made the mess. All right. Biblical intentionality, on the other hand, involves making a daily choice to glorify God through our lives. It involves making a daily choice to glorify God through our lives. Okay, so <coughs> let's look at a couple things. Um, God is intentional. There's a song that says that now, right? And because he is intentional, he wants us to be intentional. And today's uh, sermon is going to be set up more like one of our discipleship classes, all right? Because living intentionally for God is discipleship, where I am commissioned by the Father to go and make disciples. And this is hard because sometimes you don't recognize that you are sent here for me to make you a disciple. You felt like you were sent here so that you could make yourself into the disciple God wants you to be. No. Disciples are made by people besides themselves. Amen. Hello? I know you think, no, I can make myself. No, you cannot. You cannot make yourself a disciple. All of discipleship is passed down from one disciple to the new disciple, then from that disciple to the next disciple. If you just show up and make your disciple out of nowhere, nobody is going to believe that because there's no accountability in that. There's no anointing in that because there's, there's a break of the order of God. Does that make sense? And when people try to just make themselves disciples, theology and truth get all wishy-washy. Right? And there's no, there's, there's no boundaries within that. All right? No example. Everything about how we grow in Christ is example-based. Right? From Christ to the 12, from the 12 to the 200, from 200 to the 3,000. And it's, it's just constantly, constantly that way. And, and if you look at how God made us physiologically, our brain is more patterned toward what? Socialization than it is computation. So he never intended for us to be problem solvers. He intended us to be socially connected and, and intertwined so that we are pulling from one from another. So your concept of being completely independent and a self-made individual is a flaw against how kingdom is structured. Okay, um, just because you were hurt by people you trusted does not mean the system is flawed. That's, that's really where it is. And because you, are tr you were hurt by multiple people you trusted does not mean that trusting other people to lead and guide you is flawed. It just means how you select these people has been flawed. And if you don't trust how you select them, then trust how God leads you. Right? When he, when he, when he shuts this down, take it. <laughs> that was a shutdown. When he opens this up, take it. That was open up. Do you understand? And then pray and say, God, I, I, I don't know whether I'm doing this or you're doing this, but I just, I'm going to go with whatever you're putting before me. 
that, that you, you might be glorified because I can't trust myself. He knows that when you are humble enough to say, I could mess this up. I could mess this up. Lead me, guide me, direct me. The Bible says, acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways and he will do what? Direct your paths, as we had talked about many a times before, but it's good hearing again. When he says direct your paths, he does not say direct you. He says he directs the path under your feet, which means he doesn't even care whether you understand what he's saying or not. If you went left, he, make you, he, he meant for you to go right, what's he going to do? Turn the whole path, hello, till you're going left. Because you're acknowledging him and everything that you're doing. That's really what you're about. I just want to please you. I just want to go where you want me to go. And, and I'm so glad it's not contingent upon me getting this right. In that is freedom. In that is a Sabbath rest. Hello, somebody. That's, that's really where, that's the sweet spot he wants you to live in. Like, I think you're saying this. I think you're saying that. Oh, okay, I don't know. But before all that anxiety and fear bubbles up at the idea that you can get it wrong and fail miserably, truth about God has to settle in and say, but you are in control. Amen. And that should calm all of your anxiety and all of your fear that you're going to fail the most important thing in your life. Because he's not going to let that happen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, all right. Good stuff, good stuff, okay. Um, let's look at Psalms chapter 139. It's a wonderful psalm, one of my favorites. I couple this with that Jeremiah 111. Let's pull that one up just on the side. So I said Psalms 139? All right, and then on the side, let's pull up um, Jeremiah 1 and 5. Those two go together, in my opinion. Okay. Um, Psalms 139. Verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. We can stop right there. Uh, the psalmist here is discussing how God made him with intention. Mm -hmm. Right? That he saw what Jer uh, the, uh, the prophet, uh, the psalmist, uh, I think it was probably David at this point. It's a David psalm. All right, what the psalmist really wanted to be and what God wanted him to be before there was any formation of him. He just looked at the substance that was there. It was like, that's what it's going to be. You're going to be a David, right? And, and then he goes on to say that my days were also fashioned before any of them actually happened. My days were planned. And this is huge because to know that God has planned out your days, all of them, is extremely intentional. Yeah. All right. So, now this is the, again, we have to do this thing again. Okay. If he planned out all my days, then it doesn't matter what, that's not what that means. Because you and I will never know to what extent he plans out each and every day. Did he plan, out, plan you being late? Or did you being late? go against his original plan. And then now he has to accept that, even though it wasn't part of his perfect will. Mm 
Do you remember on last week I left you with the idea that knowing the will of God and flowing with God is more of a dance than it is a very concrete thing. All right. That you are you have to trust your partner's leading and the nudging and the signals that you get as you flow together. And in some cases, they could be a strong lead. In other cases, they're allowing you to, to add your influence on what you desire. And, and it's a very cohesive unit, but no matter what, in this tug back and forth, the movement is unison, all right? Where your partner submits to what you're wanting and you submit to what they're wanting. And as believers, when we're dancing with the Father, we pretty much like to submit to most of what he wants because he's a better dancer than us. All right. And he doesn't start letting you talk about you want to do a spin anywhere until you get better at dancing. <laughs> spin me. No. <laughs> Lift me up. <laughs> no. Right. You're not quite ready for that. Right. And it's a good opportunity for you to trust. So when we look at your days being fashioned, planned beforehand, I don't know how much of your day is planned. But I do know there are some days that God has to plan from top to bottom. I believe that the day my mother passed, God had to plan that top to bottom. There are certain things that he just has to make sure fall in line because of other things are so contingent upon it or so important. And there are other things that he can say, hmm, yeah, yeah. As long as you're here by this point, it's fine, right? These, this is my concept, all right? But no matter what you pick, it is always a mystery. The true question here is why do you have a desire to feel that you must be in control of every second of your life? Like that, that part is the part, right? And why do you feel boxed in by the idea that the Father has planned things for you? We talked about our vacations that we take as a, as a church, and I plan our vacations. So far we've been to South Africa a couple times, twice. What else we do? We do Seychelles and then South Africa and then... We could do some cruises. And ultimately, the idea when I plan a trip is you don't plan anything. I tell you what to bring, what to pack, what to wear. I pay for all your food. You don't have to sit there and count. Now, how much can I afford? That's not, food is already paid for. You just go back to the car, go back to the beach. I take care of the bill. All your activities is planned for, all the fun things, the rest days, it's all planned. There has been one occasion where someone did not care for that type of treatment, that they felt that we too are adults and we could plan our own thing. Some of you were on this trip. Now this person was not truly a member of our church, she was an associate member, all right? So she didn't know necessarily the joys of, and the freedom that can be found in not having to plan everything or think about it. You could just wake up, pastor said we gotta be dressed by 10, she said, take your umbrella because it might rain. Ah, oh, that's great. All right, got my umbrella, got my sneaks. I'm good to go. You are now equipped for everything that I have planned for you that day. Right? The whole thing. You have nothing to worry about. If it rains, <coughs> umbrella. Right? Like, dang, I should have brought my jacket. No, you, you're taken care of. Don't have to worry about that. Right? Some people find rest in that. But control freaks will find that they are bound too tightly for this. And so they decided, well, we want to decide to plan our rest of our day for ourselves. I said, go right ahead. It was the worst day of the trip. The food was bad. The timing was bad. The activities was bad. And everybody was like, why you let us do that? Because that's what y'all wanted to do. <laughs> well, y'all let the loudest one talk, so go in. <laughs> but there's freedom 
and rest in the idea that you know God is planning things. And nothing goes without his notice. And he takes into account you. See, when I plan a trip, I have to take into account the different personalities that are with me. Like, I know for a fact the Petersons move slow. So what I have to do is I have to buffer in enough time for Petersons. Not Densons, not butts, all right? Petersons. Some people can move quickly, all right? I say, let's go. They need 15 minutes dressed out the dough, all right? That is not the case with the Petersons. They will find some reason to hem and haw for everything. I'm looking for some gum. But do you have to do that right now? It's in here. I just. All three of the Petersons, they all do it. No matter what, we always standing at the door going. So when you know people that you are flowing with, you can, you can even plan to include their, their inefficiencies, to include their insecurities, to, to include where they lack. Now, if I can do it as an earthly being, how much more can the Father plan your days with you in mind? That's why the Bible says, for every temptation, there is a what? Way of escape. For every one of them. He's like, I know this is going, because you're only tempted by your own desires. Every temp temptation is not universal to every person. Everybody ain't tempted by sweets. Just you. <laughs> you can leave a, a chocolate candy bar on the counter for days. I am fine. But you leave some chips. I'm at least I'm salty, something savory with some mushrooms and some gravy. I'm going to eat that up. <laughs> it, it does not stand a chance. All right? But the temptations are specific to the individual. And thus the father says that when temptations are specific to you, I will also give a way of escape that is specific to you. Now you I know your thoughts, what? Are far off. So when I plan your day, rest assured, I plan your day with you in mind. With what you're going to mess up, could mess up, not get right, completely miss. Right? And I'm going to plan it. Now at some point, we're going to have to call it. All right? And I'm planning. I gave you the buffer time, 30 minutes, buffer. Now you have 45 minutes. We're done. That event is closed. That can happen. Okay? But it does not mean he did not plan it. Yes? It doesn't mean that he didn't at it but how much he plans in every day it's a dance no one really knows all right but I do know this even if something didn't go originally the way he planned he can just miracle it there's no boat walk on water <laughs> so at the end of the day even if I by chance miss a cue even if I by chance missed something, got something completely wrong, and it is an impossible feat that I could be where he needed me to be when he wanted me to be, to be it, he could still miracle the whole situation. And who gonna check him, boo? Who gonna check him? Who be like, that defies gravity. You can't do that. <laughs> it's my gravity. And you just walk on, right? So even in that, there's nothing but safety there, right? And there should be freedom in that. But Satan has so polluted our mind that freedom becomes bondage. And we feel bound by God. I can't do nothing. And he already know what I'm going to do. Every time I do Amen. David, the psalmist, <laughs> says off the top that God is intentional. 
and he formed me with intention in mind. Who he wanted me to be, he saw the substance and said, you know what, this is going to be a good David. All right? And, and all of us, he did this way. And then he actually planned each and every day. All right? So if that's what God did, now if you go to Jeremiah chapter 1, somewhere around uh, verse 4, all right, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. All righty. Um, this verse for me is one of those childhood verses that just, it just made my day. It's one of those verses when I first started in ministry, it hit me so hard that that's all I preached about for years. And it was, it was like one of them things that every message I had had about Jeremiah in it because I just couldn't believe. What I couldn't believe was the idea that God said before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. Like to us, we did not exist until we hit the womb. God says, uh-uh, you existed before that. And I knew you before I formed you in your mother's belly. And that just, because when the Bible uses the word new in terms of relation, it uses it like, like sex and marriage, like an intimate knowing. Like I knew everything about you before I even put you in your mother's womb. And when I was young in ministry, I would talk about how it's as if me and God had a conversation long before I entered my mother's womb. And we had intimate talks and conversations, and he knew he was going to put me down there in that belly, and I might forget just about everything we discussed. But his goal and his desire, his heart, was that I would find him yet again. That when he calls me, I will hear him. And all of the things that we discussed over time will begin to intentionally show up in my life as I try to go back and rehearse the conversations that me and God had in eternity. Right? This is what I used to preach back when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. In my 20s, I did, I did, I did. All right? And it, it blessed my heart. Now look at some of these words. Before I formed you in the womb is one thing. All right? That means to, to make your body. All right? And not just your physical body, but all of the hormones that also comprise some of your personality traits. Physiologically, your hormonal levels also affect your character and personality. And those two are designed by God. Okay, so we, we're not just talking about form like eye color, all right, and hair color. We're also talking about form like levels of testosterone, levels of estrogen levels of, of, of anxiety hormones, levels, all of those things that fluctuate, right, that cause us to eat or sleep or be afraid, all of that was designed by God. The things that support your personality, right? Things that we could expand too much. <laughs> too, mu too much testosterone, <laughs> bring that back, right? Things like that, that we could expand and decrease, but the level that he established was given and decided and predetermined. Right? Because those two also affect your character, your personality. It doesn't make you, but it does support, yes, those aspects of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so before I formed you, that was one thing. And before you were born, I consecrated you. So it's formed, then it's consecration. What is consecration? It means 
to set you apart. All right, but not just set you apart from people, but to declare a specific purpose for you. Now that's some intentionality. So when he saw you and your substance being unformed, he knew you before he made you in your mother's womb and the conversations you had, he knew exactly what he wanted to do with you. I know exactly what I want to do with the life and the soul of Annette. I know exactly what I want to do with the life and the soul of Stefan. I know exactly what I want to do with the life and soul of Mama Jean. All of it. He knew you. He knew when you got down here. And he says, then I consecrated you. I set you apart for a specific thing, a specific path, journey, a line that you walk that accomplishes certain aspects. And that was, that was, that was designed by me. Right? Like a potter that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a potter to clay. I look at the clay and I want to make a bowl. Right? That's it. I got, this would be a good clay for some bowl, for bowl, right? Then the, the clay got marred in my hand. All right, bump that. You're about to be a cup. You know? <laughs> or, no, I'm going back to the original bowl idea. Okay? You're still going to be a bowl and I'm going to reshape you back to a bowl. Either way, the creator, to create something means that you have something in mind and you can see what is not seen by anybody else about what that could be. Right? Now there are types of artists. Some artists go with an exact thing in mind. I want it to be exactly like this. Others work with their medium. All right? And say, as they begin to develop, I begin to allow this and that color, and I begin to think that it might have been more abstract. You know, I don't know. Okay? I'm not an artist. All right? But some of you have very creative tendencies. Okay? So there's a fluctuation between creating something similar to dancing that involves a very clear vision as well as fluidity as the thing comes into shape. Amen? So no matter which one he is, at what stages of your life, trust me, he still has a plan. All right? Some stages is free willy, you know? Just go, oh, look at that. Okay, look at you. All right, no, no, no. Tighten that up. Tighten, <laughs> tighten all that up. <laughs> and you're here because your pastor said, you're getting too old for this. Why haven't you recognized that you have a consecrated path? You're getting too old for this. Being free-spirited and, oh, I just like whatever, God, what me? Oh, he, he'll forgive me. Ah! <laughs> You're running out of time. <laughs> and there's, there's a forming and a shaping that has to be seen now, right? That you, it wasn't so hard pressed when you were five. <laughs> but at 45, Come on. at 35, yeah. 75, hello? There's, there's some concrete things that we really, <laughs> right? After 50, this thing, need, we, everybody need to be able to look at it and know what it is. If you're still a fluid concept in your 50s, we don't know what I'm going to be. You don't know what you're going to be. You it. <laughs> you come to church, this can't be it. Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's pretty much it. <laughs> Make me a spoon. Mm -mm, mm -mm. It's too much leftover pottery for that. You can definitely have to be a bowl. He can make you a cup, but you definitely can't squeak scold back down to a spoon. <laughs> Okay, so he formed you, <laughs> he consecrated you, and then the last one is that he did what? Appointed you. What I want you to recognize is that consecration and appointment are not the same. 
Okay, let's do that again. He formed you. He knew you before he formed you. Then he formed you. Right? Then he consecrated you. All right? To consecrate is to separate it and then add a, 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 a divine purpose to it. Right? And then the third aspect of life was to appoint him as a prophet to the nations. That third part right there, people get confused. They think the appointing is the same as the consecration, and it is not. Your ministry is not the same as your calling. We are all called to salvation, but how you serve in that consecration is the appointed aspect, and that is not the same as your consecration. Whether you are appointed or not, you are still consecrated. You are still set apart for a specific purpose before your appointment and after your appointment. When I retire as a pastor, I would have been appointed as a pastor. And then when I retire, I am no longer appointed as a pastor, but I am still very much so consecrated. And what most people want to do is they want to make the appointment and the consecration the same. Let me know what I'm what you're going to what you want me to do in your kingdom. And thus I can I can adjust my consecration for that. Nope. You have to be completely set apart for God's use in consecration above all. Before you could ever know or think about your appointment. Right. Our ministers, our ministers, our young ministers that were set down. Uh, after they completed new members, I mean minister training, they did about a year, I think. It was you did two years or a year? About two years? About two years as a minister. You know, ministry here, you, you, give me, you, you get licensed, but it's, you're always under review until you're ordained. So they were under re review for two years. At two years, I looked at them both personally, and I said, I don't know if this is really what you want to do. I think that this was a point of uh, you just going to the next best thing. Like, first I got saved. Then I started working at the church. Then I started, what's the next thing I can, then I can be a minister. And then sometimes it's all about getting that gold star on your forehead each and every time. Yeah. And what they didn't recognize is that there's a consecration that is involved in your life. And they were so young that I'm not sure if they were ready to, to really walk into that consecration. Does that make sense? Where you recognize, I live like this not because I have to but because I want to. I make these sacrifices not because I have to, because I want to, because if you're not careful, you do things to be the minister. You do things to be the prophet. You do things to be the wife. You, hello? You do things, you do all the things even though you ain't got wife uh, appointment yet. You know You're doing all the things as to be the wife. You know, do all the things to be the husband. You understand, even though you have not been appointed to these positions. And what's going to end up happening is you're going to have resentment later in life because you built yourself for the appointment and had no understanding of whether the consecration was really something you wanted. This just, this just discipleship class. Hello, somebody. So, so why don't you guys sit down for a while? It's up to you. I'll hold your licenses for you, and you determine if a consecrated life is truly a part of you at this stage. Let's see what happens. You start slipping and sliding over there in sin, start messing up, then, <laughs> then what I was going to have is an appointed minister. 
and not a consecrated person. Like I said, when I first started in ministry, I, before I even went to seminary, I was already buying books that seminary uh, institutions assigned. And I didn't know it till I went to seminary. And I was like, I got that book. I read that book. I read that in, as a pastime. Well, look at this. You know, I mean, I loved it. Systematic theology. I had two of those books read before I even took a, my first theological class. And it wasn't because I was trying to be a pastor. I just enjoyed reading about it. This is consecration versus appointment. And sometimes the purpose-driven life and this secular intentionality makes us try to form ourselves into the appointment rather than first being who God wants us to be and letting him appoint after that has happened. When you go in the right order, you're comfortable. And what people hate on is the idea that I am comfortable as a pastor. I am comfortable with my gifts. My words of knowledge and preaching, we saw that on the, yep, yep. Do you tell everybody, did I know you? No, you did not. Exactly. I'm very comfortable in my lane, right? And that's the idea that you could be comfortable versus constantly, even when you're appointed, trying to fit into a certain mold, right? But allow that formation that he designed to be, to start taking shape. And then that consecration to be seen. Like, I don't know, I just can't get with that kind of stuff, you know? I mean, to each their own, but I, that ain't for me. You know, and you'll start seeing that. And when you start recognizing that and owning that this is how I'm built, it's just about time for appointment. It's just about time for appointment. Because that way you're not resenting the call on your life. You're not wishing that, you're not second guessing, maybe I should have done something different. Did I, did I make the right? See, at certain levels of leadership, you can't be having them kind of doubts. Right? But you should be able to look at your life and go, now, nah, this is always me. What you'll end up thinking is, he made me exactly for this. Exactly. Exactly. That is the safety and assurance that you need in serving God. Right? So it's formed physically, then it's consecrated, and then there's appointment. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on and bless the name of the Lord for that. Now, Jeremiah was 11 years old when this was going on. Later on, God tells him, do not say that I'm only a youth. Okay. I was saved at 9, got baptized in the Holy Ghost at 11. So by the time I read this in my early 20s, really studied it, I was like, oh, my God. Look at that at age 11. When I saw that you could be a prophet to God, established, trained, appointed, and, and start working in it. At age 11, I was like, say less. I just want to know, do you use people at my age? <laughs> I mean, I ain't got to be the prophet, but do you use, you use people at this age? And all my teachers, I start ministering to them. They start going to church. You know, that was age 9, 10, 11, counseling them on their marriages. I'm like, God could use anybody, <laughs> right? Then later I realized you still need a lot of training. But uh, nevertheless. <laughs> Amen? Amen? All righty. So <laughs> when it comes to uh, consecration, appointment, um, living your life with God intentionally, in order to live your life with God intentionally, you have to know and establish your priorities. You've got to know them. And they've got to be firmly established. 
All right, now, when it comes to us living intentionally, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 17. Let's use this verse to kind of pattern us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When we're living intentionally with God, we have to be wise and not foolish, right? So if, if those are your priorities, then every decision you make in life, both big and tiny, have to fulfill those priorities in order. And the more difficult the decision, the more reliant you are on those priorities. For example, I really don't know which is which because both could be good. Then you really need your list of priorities in the order that you wrote them in. Does that make sense? Because that's tough, right? So precarious decisions involve us actually fulfilling our priorities, right? So every decision, big and small, has to fall in line with those priorities. Um, so let's say you, uh, let's say you got church second, all right? God first, church second, um, financial stability third, all right? And church is having a important activity. But also, this is a time for you to get that overtime. Hello? You need that overtime. It's, it's a real, it's a real thing. Yeah, real, real situation. You need this money. Both are important. Yes. The order of your priorities already decides it for you. If those priorities are what you know you're supposed to be, to deviate from those is to change your character based off of your situation and not who you were called to be. If you say, but this time I'm going to do the money first, then that's who you're going to become. You, in essence, allow the world to conform you. The events that are happening around you and to you begin to reshape you, right? So we can be reformed through intentional living, okay? By just saying, no, unfortunately, I have to do this because those are my priorities. A person that cannot keep their priorities will always look like a hypocrite. All the time. Every time. If your priorities change with everything that you do, every new season you win in life, seasons change. Priorities remain the same, baby. Hello? Seasons change. If that keeps changing, then you people are always going to look at you like you're a hypocrite. You don't live what you profess. You don't do what you say. One day you're saying, Jesus, Jesus love everybody. Next day, got to get that money, bump these people. You know, it's just too much back and forth. You will look unstable. Right? Not consistent. Definitely not a person of true character. Right? 
So decisions in our lives, if we're going to live intentionally for God, will involve us maintaining our priorities on decisions that are big and what? In most cases, the father will test you with small ones before he gives you the big ones, right? What do you do with your money? Small, right? Did you tithe? Did you give an offering? When the pastor asked for generous, were you generous? When she asked for sacrifice, did you sacrifice? What's your priorities? What's your priorities on that, right? These are the things that you have to do at a small level. And then it becomes big stuff. Like when I was teaching this series and half the church left because they didn't like the series and I continued to teach it. That was a very big decision of priorities. Right? And it involved my parents. And my mom passed after that. Horrible. I can only look back and go, but I had to maintain the priorities that were set in my life with God. That's it. And I have to know that even in me, these priorities that are established were designed by God. Right? They were designed by him. The fact that these are so important to me, even when I, I don't live up to it, they still are very important. Okay? That's what it is. Amen? All right. How you feeling about that? Tough? Tough? Tough but right. You don't get COVID, keep your church open decisions off the top. You get, do you go to work on time? Do you go to Bible study? <laughs> do you actually make the kids a nutritious meal? You get those, all right? Those are the ones you start off with. Boom, you got to knock them out. Boom, 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 boom. Do I procrastinate? Do I actually fold the clothes? Do I wash the clothes? Do I actually go to the birthday party I said I was going to go to? These things are... <laughs> the ones that you have to maintain based off of your priorities. Yes? All right, how you feeling? You feeling all right? You, you got a question? You feeling good? Yes, you're feeling good. And you, you, you do those. Little, little, boom, boom, knock them out. And then he starts raising the stakes. <laughs> now we're going to raise the stakes even more. Now can you do it with this? Can you maintain it with this on the line? Can you maintain it with that on the line? Can you maintain it with people and their opinions? Can you maintain it with people without their opinions? Can you maintain it with pressure? Can you maintain it when you're brokenhearted? Can you maintain it when you're lost? Can you maintain it when you're hurt? Now you have to do the same priorities, but with a lot more resistance on the line, right? And all of this is forming you to be appointed. Not just here, because there's life after here. You got appointments in heaven, baby. You got appointments in the new earth. When we are raised from the dead. When we raised from the dead, what you going to be doing? You don't, even, you don't even think about that. Your, your other life. This is not all it. You'll live again. You're going to be appointed to some bad positions. But you're going to love it because, you know, you're, you're a new creature. But it ain't going to stop you going, hmm, that was a nice position. Up there that they have. They must have really did well on the on the earth before everything. They really, they really, they really live for God. <laughs> and you'd be like, I'm just glad I made it. Yep, yep. What a terrible, what a terrible goal. Even now.
I mean, I mean, I mean, you could say it because that's in your heart. I'm just glad I made it. But let's just be honest. What you're striving for is a more you prefer a more comfortable life here than a more pleasing life to the father there. See, we're never going to agree on that. You're going to always have loser talk and I'm going to always say strive, press toward a, a good prize, a goal. Right. Go, go for it. Hit it. Right. I went to a high school where the, the quote was from Benjamin E. Mays. You shoot for the st you shoot for what the moon. And if you fall, fall, at least you fall amongst the stars. You shooting for the doggone clouds. You're going to fall to the ground. What you're telling yourself is don't even strive past this point. You're setting yourself up to be the failure. To not have any disappointment. You think that's going to preserve you from disappointment. Disappointing yourself or others. It won't. You will just be disappointing in the idea that you had no vision for your life. That you didn't have any value for yourself. Because that's really, is, that's really what it's about. When you, when you understand the value of God forming and shaping you. The psalmist said, I, my soul knows how wonderful you are. Then, then that says, let's do something with this. Let's do something great with this. All right? Versus, eh, as long as I make it in. I don't know if that's going to work. Because typically people that just want to get by always underestimate the size of the gap. You do. Like, I think if I just run right here, I'll make it over. Just, just, I'll, just, I'll just make it. I'll just make it over to the other side. Typically, always underestimate. If you had to take a, stop yelling at me. I know I'm hitting you. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming for you. Don't yell me off. Yeah, I'm still, I'm not going to stop. If you try to just make it over, let's say there's a huge gap between you and the other side, a, 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 a ditch, a, a huge drop, if you just try to make it to the other side and you are off by a little bit, you're going to fall. Wisdom would say, shoot to go way past that. When we hit a golf ball, we have to hit the golf ball. We have to look through the ball, not at the ball. If you look at the ball, your shot always does something stupid. <laughs> you stop it halfway. You, you try to readjust. It's always does something dumb, right? You have to look past that and aim for something further down the road. That way you have enough momentum when you take that leap to go past it. If you're shy of what your goal was, then you are still on solid ground. But just trying to make it is ultimately revealing that you are more concerned with your comfort here. You have not truly accepted what the gospel says is true. There's a lack of faith in the gospel for what it really says. And let me to be honest, it is hard for me to disciple people that really don't want to be disciples. Because I'm always going to be thinking, what can we do to make God proud? What, what next thing can we do just, just, just to blow the socks off of God, to really serve people? And you're thinking, um, but what is that going to cost me ultimately? How is that going to affect me? And so there will always be a level of, of strife in that. Because I'm not lowering the standard. It's not going to happen. You're going to just be very uncomfortable when you come here. And you'll, maybe you'll keep coming and I'll keep chipping that away at you. 
Because I never wanted a church full of people that are just mediocre in God. There are other churches for that. Why are you taking up time here? Oh, you take up counseling time, ministry time, you know, conversation time, fun time. You take up a lot of time just to be wanting to be average. There are thousands of churches that you can sit in to be average in God. You know this church is about you being great in the Father. You won't let Satan use you and destroy my church. Because it's always going to look like I'm pushing you too hard, expecting too much. Oh, Pastor, she's so hard on us. Well, let me get some champions. People that desire to be champions. They go, that was tough love. Thank you so much. I had a woman at the dog on women's conference say, I said, I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's the truth. She said, no, that was tough love. That's what I needed. As she snotted on my shirt, you know. <laughs> I needed that tough love. Some people recognize if you don't push me, if you don't push me, I'm prone, right? And God knows that about you. He gives you just enough challenge, right? It's enough challenge to keep you sharp, right? And it could be maybe he brought you here so somebody would push you, right? But don't you make this grievous for me. You better start having some momentum for yourself. <laughs> Success to me, and so you know, because this, this is what you're being formed in, all right? You follow me as I follow Christ. I disciple you, right? Success for me is learning how to be completely obedient to the Father under all circumstances. That's success. It involves things like knowing the will of God, hearing his voice, being faithful, steadfast. It can involve long-suffering. It can involve a lot of things, but to me, success is always defined as being obedient to the will of God under all circumstances. This success will inevitably make me successful in what the world deems as success. Hello? Inevitably. Financial stability is not on my top three. It's not, because money comes and money goes. Trying to create a new system where it is even, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. What you really want is you want to be stable regardless of your finances. Now that's a character, not a method of having. So financial stability isn't on the list. That's like saying, what I desire is that all the seasons is 75 degrees. It's not going to happen. It can't be one temperature all the way through. Your money can't be one level all the way through. See, 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 see how you done, you done put something on that list that is a fantasy? It is. But you can be stable regardless of your financial situations. Now that... My faith is stable. My love is, faith is stable. My, my patience is stable. My outlook on life is stable. My, my mood is stable. My attitude is stable. Now that is the priority that you should attain for. So change it. Change it. Change it. You too. Change it. 
If it's just about providing things and having things, he's Jehovah Jireh. He even tells you your provision is not up to you. But here's a part of your faith that you don't believe. This is a part that is your faith is lacking in. It's either your faith is lacking or you desire to be in control and not wait on him providing for you. I don't want you to provide for me because some days you might provide a little. And I want a lot. Don't make my plate. Don't portion it out for me. That's really what could be. If you know that he is Jehovah Jireh and you know that he is the provider, the reason that you want control over that stability of your finances is because you don't want God to portion it out to you. But he told the people of Israel, I'm going to give you daily manna. And don't you dare try to portion it out for yourself. Why is that important? Because when you try to portion out finances for yourself, they end up making you a type of person that does not flow with God. You won't let him test you. You won't allow a decrease to test you. You won't allow a decrease in your finances to show that he is glorious and you could still win and you could still eat. He can't use you for that kind of stuff. Oh, no, he's got to only use you for what you want to be used for. But a lot of what God teaches is about how he provides. And what we don't like is that that also means he gets to control our portions. I don't like that. I mean, I'm 40-some years old. I need to have a decent portion. At this point in my life, I need to have a pretty size, pretty nice pile of money. I'm sure at a certain age, you think you should have a pretty decent size of portion of health. But tell that to the believer that is cerebral palsy. What, so, so now is, is life about having good health? That's, that's a priority? Because that is even portioned to you. You can overdo it or underdo it, but you still have a portion allotted. Mm-hmm. So to make something that is a priority that is absolutely in the hands of God, it's probably not the best approach. Right? Which is why I don't make children a priority for me. Having children, I know too many women that have not had kids and can't. I firmly believe that children come from God. I don't care if you did it in sin, did it in marriage, that is your blessing. Period. So why would I make having kids a priority when it is clear that that is in the hands of God? Even if I sinned, whether I have a baby from it, it's still in the hands of God. So getting married and having babies is not on my top anything at all. Right? And if it happens in my life, it's great. This is what he portioned out for me. This is my cup. And that's the part you have to recognize is part of the consecration, part of the living intentionally, is to see and accept the cup that God has brought before you. And to say, even in this cup that you've given me, I want you to be glorified. I know some tarts of that cup is bitter. I know it is. But can you glorify God in, in your appointment? Being a parent is hard. It can be a bitter tasting cup. But can you glorify him in that? Not having kids could be bitter, a bitter part of the cup. But can you give God glory while you're drinking that cup? Because that is the story of the gospel. 
That's Christ. The cross was bitter, but God got the glory. That's living intentional. It's different than the world that says, have a vision for all the great things you want in your life and then manifest it. Living intentional, what God says, you know my days. I want to purposely fulfill them with you. Good or bad, right? Good or bad. If it's a bitter cup, I want you to be glorified. Can you pass it? You can't pass it from me? I got to drink that. All right, be glorified. To God be the glory, right? And your goal is on the bitter cup that he's glorified rather than him looking like a villain because you hate your cup. My God is so mean. He made me drink a cup of my mom passing. Ugh. No, he's not. That happens. That's life. It's bitter. I hate it. But he's still amazing. And I'm drinking my cup. It's time for us to grow up, huh? Hello? It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to grow. Come on, bless God for that. Second Corinthians chapter five. <clears throat> the parts of your cup that is bitter. There is not one aspect of life that does not come with a little bit of sorrow. Not one. Not one. The biggest blessings can also have and be involved in later some of some pain. Because we live in a fallen world. This is death. But should you become a different person every time pain and suffering that is common hits your life? Then how will you ever be you? At some point, living intentionally says, at some point, I have to determine to remain who I am consecrated, right? And formed to be regardless of the external circumstances that are pressing against me. Because that is life. That's real life. And it may not be enjoyable on the bitter times, but when you get through the bitter time and you can see that you maintained who God wanted you to be, you're going to be so happy. You're going to be so happy. You're going to be like, ooh, he's so good. Because likewise, when you're faced with problems and difficulties and you realize that it caused you to back up, from your priorities and from the things of God, aren't you displeased? Aren't you mad at yourself? And to the extent that you are mad or displeased is also to the extent that you would celebrate and be happy when you actually get it right. Get what right? Maintaining who God consecrated you to be in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. To be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? Always. Your mom passed, your dad passed, I'm still abounding in the work of the Lord. 
You lost your job, I'm still abounding in the work of the Lord. Your back hurts, I'm still abounding in the work of the Lord. My knees is down bad, I'm still abounding in the work of the Lord. Somebody broke my heart, I'm still abounding in the work of the Lord. I broke my own heart, I'm still abounding in the name of the Lord. In this, you will find joy. I know for some of you have not lived it yet. So you have to take it by faith, what I am telling you. If you won't, just look at me. How could I, you know me, go through all I go through and still have some level of joy and abounding in God if it was not the case? You can look at somebody and go, yeah. It must be something to just working on the inside when you do that because everybody would have quit. And apparently everyone does not quit. Everybody doesn't quit. And it's time for you to stop. It's time for you to stop quitting your priorities because of that. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Are you there? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creature, new creation. The old has what? Passed away. Behold, the new has what? Come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our, uh, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When we're in Christ, we become a new creature, a new creation in God. One Bible says that our, one scripture says that our, our fleshly desires, our flesh is crucified. On Saturday, we went over, you know, the, the three parts of man and to crucify the flesh is what you're saying is you're crucifying the desires of the flesh. Now, that seems difficult, right? So if I'm, I'm saying that I'm, I'm just going to have no more flesh desires, I just crucify them all. It mm. doesn't mean they go away. But crucifixion is a slow death, right? It's a very slow and painful death. And you die in crucifixion primarily because you have hunger, thirst, and you bled out. So when the word says you crucify your flesh, it says you let it hunger, you let it thirst, and you let it bleed out. And sometimes we misunderstand what it means to crucify flesh because we think that the flesh wants it so bad that apparently it must be good for me to have. It will never die if you keep feeding it. It will never die if you keep giving it water. The part of you that is desiring, and what, when we say crucify the flesh, is 
it is not submissive to you, to your spirit or your soul, but it runs the greater part of you. In some cases, you have not died daily. That you, in other scriptures, talks about your soul. You, we die daily. So now your emotions rule you. And given some of you, you on one of them spectrums. And very few of us is on the spirit ruling us, our spirit man. But our soul, our feelings dictate. Our feelings tell our spirit to shut up and tells our flesh to activate. I mean, our soul, yeah. Our soul tells our spirit to shut up and our, and our flesh to activate. Our soul tells us to, to be bad, to, to sin, to, and then soul starts running all of the program. Come to church. No flesh, we're not smiling. I know that's a good joke, but we're not in the place to laugh. Sorry, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We would praise God, but, you know, we're really feeling, we're, we feel bad. So don't put your hands up. I mean, God's worthy, but he understands. I'm not lifting my hands. And soul could run the whole program. Similarly, when we have to crucify the flesh, when you become a new creature, what you're saying is that those parts are not ruling you. There is a new creation in you, your spirit, that is now supposed to be taking over. Yes? Right? And that part is the part that's supposed to be ruling everybody. Flesh like, we hungry, we're going to eat. We tired, we're going to sleep. We don't feel like it, we ain't going to go. We mad, we're going to cuss them out. Flesh runs it all. And the only way to stop flesh from running it all is to crucify it, to starve it. Which means when you crucify your flesh, it will get louder. Right? And the only thing that is running that program is your spirit, which is a good thing, or your soul has finally agreed with your spirit. I, too, think it's a good thing that we obey God in this. So those two have teamed up on your spirit. And that would be a wonderful thing. But y'all, I mean, teamed up on your flesh, but that would be a wonderful thing. But sometimes y'all do not. Y'all don't let the team up happen. You don't even let the spirit lead. Your spirit, not the Holy Spirit. You don't even let your spirit actually lead your program. It's flesh or soul. And the Bible calls that a carnal mind. That's the carnal mind. The part that comes from self that influences the body. That's a carnal mind. And it's supposed to be the spirit. And the spirit is what conscious? God conscious. The spirit only wants what God wants. Your flesh only wants what is outside in its senses. And your soul only wants what makes you feel good on the inside. Or, or not even feel good. It just wants whatever you want on the inside. When you have to live your priorities intentionally with the Father, right? It will always challenge your flesh and it will bring challenge to your soul. That's what it does. For what reason? That your spirit might grow and the rest are under subjection to your spirit. They're like, whatever you say, I mean, what we gonna do? Nothing. It should be that people say about you like they do about me. It don't matter what we tell you, Pastor. You're going to do whatever God tell you to do. What they're really saying is how God leads your spirit is the only thing that you do. Threat of death, talking about you, people disagreeing, not liking you, is not enough 
for you to change that. Why? Because my soul and flesh have been under subjection to my spirit for a long periodic time. To the point where they just give up. <laughs> oh, she gonna, she, gonna, she, gonna, she gonna wake up and do that anyway. And she, yeah, she is. You might as well just, the leg's about to fall off, but it's gonna fall off because she is not gonna stop. You might as well just get with the program. All right, let's kick in some endorphins or something. Let's help her out because she gonna drag us whether we want it or not. <laughs> Exactly, that's what it means to lead. You're gonna get with me or you're gonna get left. But either way, we going. You know, it's just, it's it. But first, you might as well just do it. Go ahead and give her some more endorphins or something because she ain't gonna stop. So, like, she's gonna do this sad, ain't she? She is, she's gonna do it sad. Well, let's at least try to help her out a little bit. Let's find a silver lining or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> she's gonna do it whether we scream at her or not. We don't wanna do it. She might shut up, we're doing it. Dang it. Right? That's the place that we're trying to strive to get to that who we are in God is leading us, right? Not the other parts of us, amen? That's an intentional life, amen? amen. Three common reasons we struggle to live intentionally. I got this from a resource, it was very good, I thought. Three common reasons why we struggle to live intentionally. We'll, we'll end with that for today. All right, you guys ready? One, we don't know who we are. It's hard to be intentional about living for God if you really don't know who you are in God. And this doesn't mean what you do in God. This, isn't, this is not about your appointment. This is about you not fully accepting your nature. He formed you, consecrated you, and you have yet to accept that. You still feel like you can be ratchet. You still feel like your old creation, your old self is still in, in the game. The old self is not in the game. It's not. You keep trying to resurrect old self. It died when you came to Christ. All you're doing is animating a dead thing of your past. And you look stupid. And it stinks. It's like an 18-year-old trying to put on a 2-year-old pair of shoes. That's flicted. It don't even fit you no more. You be up here sinning and crying, what? You, you know, having sex, crying in the middle of it. Get done, mad at the world. I thought you really wanted this and you don't want that because that's not you. Had this big old temper tantrum where you gonna tell God, bump this and then look how you looking. I, should, I shouldn't have did that. Because when that was you, you ain't care nothing about none of this. You didn't care what the pastor thought, but now you do. As you should. That's healthy. You didn't care about what the church people thought. You try to tell yourself, don't care now. But you kind of do. As you should, just a little bit, within reason. Right? You can sit up something the next day, wake up, and all you got to do is worry about is getting rid of that hangover. You ain't got to worry about nothing else. Not now. Not now. You messed up the day before, it's just oozing out of you. I done messed up. Can the saints pray for me? Forgive me, the Lord. I'm working on And you don't even mean to say nothing. It just oozes out of you. I just, I just keep, I just, you know, can everybody pray for me? Cause I just. Oh. <laughs> and I know it. I just be looking down like, oh, you still trying to put that old self back alive, huh? That person is gone. And you need to be investing in trying to figure out how to live this new creature better. Yeah. 
He's gone. Enjoy that. The kind of mistakes you should be making is all the mistakes that you could have been best or good, not good or evil. Okay, this is this is the side you want in Christ. And some of you are in Christ, but you get so frustrated that you try to go back to your dead self and it don't fit. You look weird. One minute you prophesying to your family members, the next minute you cussing them out. That's weird. One minute you saying hallelujah, the next minute you smoking crack. Weird. This is weird. See? And they know it. They know it. They be like, something wrong with that girl. Something wrong with him. Everybody knows it. You come here and, me and want me to make you feel good about it. Uh-uh. Be hot or cold. This, that ain't even you. And what I encourage is that you just start learning this new version of you, this new creature that you are becoming. And you're so afraid because you don't recognize this new person. But love casts out all fear. I know you're not going to recognize this new person. It is uncomfortable. What am I look like? Look like pastor? Uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't want that life. She got a lot of stuff happen to her. I, I, I just be average. Mm-mm. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Amen? Amen. Amen. Woo. We don't know who we are is one common reason we struggle to live with God with intentionality. Number two, as I alluded to just a few seconds ago, we are lukewarm in our faith. A lukewarm Christian has one foot in the world and one foot in the church. If that is you, shout amen. (laughs) Good job. They are double-minded, and according to James 1 and 6, are unstable in all their ways. This is number two. Number two is lukewarm. Lukewarm. You got one foot in church and one foot in the world. I mean, I'm going to love God, but... I mean, some stuff you just got to make sure you, you got it, you got, you got under control. You know, you, you stable in your finances. I'm a love God, but you know, you also got to make sure you know you eat right. I'm not saying these are not true. I'm saying that they are not your priority. Cause seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? Don't get mad at you that you decided to make things a priority that God already told you not to make a priority. I didn't make that list. You did. (laughs) You you changed yours. Good job. (laughs) Way to go. (laughs) Some things you don't have to make a priority. And you shouldn't because it could be a waste of your time, your emotions, and your efforts. But you can seek the kingdom of God, and things will be added to you that will fit you, that you will like. Not everything's going to be bad. Some stuff will be really good. But the best part is that you know you are being exactly who God consecrated you to be. And that is priceless. Because what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose who God consecrated you to be with all your finances, with all your earthly success? Ain't that nice? Look at what you've done. And meanwhile, 
this consecrated version of you, this powerhouse of serving God and serving people, this person that just showed love to so many people, this person that held the gospel, lived the gospel, preached the gospel, taught the gospel, influenced other people with the love of Christ, that person is lost that you might attain some of this other stuff that he was probably going to give you anyway. But no, you had to be in control, didn't you? You had to make sure you got what you felt like you were supposed to have. Got to make sure I get what I think I, I'm supposed to have. That is a direct conflict of faith. It is. I can't tell you no other way. I know y'all look at me and go, well, sometimes maybe you might look at me and go, well, Pastor, you already got that stuff. But you know how I got it. By doing exactly what I'm trying to tell you to do. I only got it so you could see that it works. Did you can see God first? If you some rough time, with everything gonna be added, it's gonna be added to you. Right? Either way, it's gonna take time, whether you do it or he do it. Sometimes it's a matter of impatience. All right, y'all ready for number three? How you feeling? Good. You need to take a cleansing breath, you all right? Yeah. And number three, we cannot, one of the common reasons that we struggle with intentionality in God is that we are running from God. Is that we are running from God. Or you know, you're thinking, I ain't running from God, I got saved. Did you? really know how salvation works sometimes it's clear cut as you know I said this prayer and I love God for the rest of my life and some other people I said a prayer but I struggle with loving God both of them I seen are true right some people say as soon as I came to the altar everything I lost a taste for crack I lost a taste for all this I'm, I'm brand new I've seen this happen yeah. other people I came to the altar I still was struggling <laughs> that's God's business all right. The idea here is, are you running from him? And there are times that we are truly running from God because we can feel that he wants us to be a particular thing that he had in mind. And we don't necessarily want to be that thing. So you don't look like you're really running from God because you came to church. But you be running from him on the inside. You be looking off to the side like, mm -hmm, just dodge that. Let me check my phone. Let me scribble something. I don't know. Huh? <laughs> I can't afford for that to really hit me hard. Nah, I need to look away. Just... The minute you feel like you got to shut it down a little bit, close it off a little bit, that's because you feel the Holy Spirit going, ah. <laughs> don't touch that. Don't deal with that in my life. Maybe it's because you tried it and failed. You don't want to touch it again. Hello? Maybe because you, you don't know what life would be like. You can't identify who you are without that. Whatever the fears or concerns are, you cannot run from him. It is not good for you. And right now, you could think, I don't know if I'm going to like that person, but I promise you, you will. 
I promise. I mean, you look at me. Look at me. Okay? I wasn't always like this. You think I was always a decent Christian? No. I was horrible. When I went to college, I enjoyed being an absolute mess. I love that I can cuss people out. I love that I can be mean. I love that I could be sexy and seductive. I love that I could party hard. I love that I could lie and get away with it. I love that I could steal. I loved the enjoyment of sin. That don't seem like some person that should actually be a pastor. Like you should have at some point your whole life always like, no, I don't really like that you. But I wasn't. I said, if I'm gonna send up something, I'm gonna send up something. And I did. But when it came time for me to become a new creature, all that old stuff had to pass away. And it wasn't so that I had a grand vision of the type of Christian I wanted to be or that I wanted to be a pastor. It was just that I really fell in love with God. And I said, whatever you make me, it's got to be better than what I'm making myself into. I could feel that I was making myself into a person that I wasn't going to like. Because I would get offended and judgmental about people that I thought were good. Ain't always good. I know you, but you over there doing something bad. <laughs> and I would hear myself go, what if they not? And I recognized that you could make me something, I'm pretty sure, a lot better than what I'm doing. One minute I wanted to be decent and nice. Next minute I'm cussing somebody out about to fight. I'm going to court because we're fighting. You know what I mean? Just, just. Now I have blips of, yeah, I'm going to be a nice person, be a decent person. Then it just goes south. <laughs> I'm going to start working out my E-Ride and go south. I'm going to stop smoking weed and, and all that stuff. I'm gonna stop. Then it goes south. Over time, I, when I fell in love with the Lord, I just knew, you're going to be better at this than me. And so I came to the understanding that whatever he brought to my life was for my making. It was for my making. Whether well, it was some STD, some broken heart, a rape situation, whatever it was, it was for my making. And I accepted how somehow, even this, is going to make me to be the one you consecrated. These things could happen regardless. But my faith says that if they're happening to me now, as a new creature, it is for my making. You have, that is your faith. The Bible talks about people, I think Paul says, about people that understood God, but in their understanding, they did not mix it with faith. They understood the word of God, they understood the promises and the scriptures, but when it came time to actually live it, they could not mix it with faith. They knew it was true based on the word, but when they had to live it, eh, I mean, is it true? Do we really know? Maybe not. And say so they, would, they would walk with God, but not mix it with faith. And there's parts of you living intentionally with the Father that you actually have to l mix it with faith. Like, I really made a mess of this. You say you forgive me. I'm going to mix that parent part in with by faith. I got to believe that. 
You said that you can use this for my good. I don't know how. I'm going to mix that with some faith too. You got to add faith to these things, and that is the hardest part. You think it's all up here in your understanding. It's not. It is true faith and love in the heart. And what propels that faith is not how convinced you are that it's true, but how much you love God. I love you so much, and I know you love me so much that I am thoroughly convinced. So you can, you can do impossible things and believe for impossible things. It was the relationship Peter had with Jesus as to why he walked on water. When you have a true relationship and you nurture that with God, then you're able to live some of these impossible priorities you've listed. <laughs> I'll be honest, some of them is almost, you look at yourself, look at that. <sighs> I know I'm supposed to put that. But, eh, just every day. <laughs> and for some of us, or all of us, those things are impossibilities. Right? But with God, all things are possible. And number two, as it relates to us, our relationship with him is what allows us to start walking on some impossible waters. So you have to really nurture that so that you can do it. Right? And then some of you do nurture it, but then you don't apply your relationship when stuff is bad. Like you, you and God was working on this real tight relationship. Then some bad stuff happened, and you was like, bump you. Not in really in those words, but you just felt like you had to handle it all by yourself. And so you said, yeah, I done messed up or something happened. I, I got it. You just stay over there. I love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I need to work on this. And so you just kind of separate yourself from him in a way that you could work on this problem. Your ask advice, is this cool? All right, thanks. No, nah, I got it. No, nah, I don't need your lovey, lovey, dubby stuff now because really I'm under. He can't even love on you. Because you, you, you're trying to fix this situation, trying to work on this thing. And that, that, that's going to run out. You need your relationship with him to keep propelling you and pulling you forward. You do. You need that. When you feel like, man, ain't, this is terrible. I mean, how, how, how can I trust this? Well, you do love me. You do. I know you do. I've seen it. You do. All right, all right. Somehow it's going to work out. Excellent. Then you take the leap of faith, you mix it with your faith, and now you can do your priority intentionally. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can make that decision on purpose in respect to your priorities. Some of us fall into self-righteousness and we don't want to be a new creature. We just want to be a little better than what we are. Others know emphatically that we need to be a new creature, but we are so not trusting of God that we won't just say do it. Do it. And I've been in a place, and I was trying to say that, hope, uh, you guys have been in a place, some of you, where I look at what I've made myself. And I'm like, this is horrible. If you're making new creatures, <laughs> can, I, can I trade myself in? <laughs> can I get a new model, please? <laughs> I need a new model. Here you go. Here go, here go my old self. Can I get something new, please? This does not work. <laughs> that is surrendering. That is it. And then when he says, I, yes, I will make you a new creature, you cannot try to figure out your old, this new life based off of your old self. You've got to figure your new life based off of this new thing, and you have never driven this type of car before, <laughs> which is why I'm here to help. 
You can't drive a manual the way you drive an automatic. No, you cannot. Can't drive a, a, a semi-truck the way you drive your little Honda. No, you cannot. You got, this, you got this new vehicle that you are now in called your new creation, and you do not understand it. There are some similarities, but most, for the most part, nope. You need a whole new lesson. That's what he says, old things passed away. Old things passed away. Old things passed away. The children of Israel would not let old things pass away. That's why they had a hard time in their wilderness experience. They looked at God like Pharaoh. And not, not accepting this new nation that he wanted them to be. This is a new way I want you to live. It's a new thing I want you to. But you ain't showing up. I'm going to show up. Don't worry. This is, this is all a part of it. Just, see, this is what we do. I might take my time and do stuff, but you're going to be fully aware that I'm doing it. And this is, this is, this is how we're going to do it. And they was like, ah, we need some water now. <laughs> And he's constantly trying to show, this is how we're going to engage with each other. In this new form I've given, you're like, mm, no, I think I'm going to keep a little manna for myself just in case. <laughs> in case this doesn't work out, you know. How do I know that you're really going to provide? You say that in your life. And it is an abomination to God. And for what he's done for you thus far, there is no excuse. He saved you by a mighty hand. There's no excuse for you to live like that, to think like that. How do I know I could trust you? Really? You gonna say that to me? You expect him to be extra merciful now too. Well, I didn't know I could trust you. You should have known. Locusts, blood to water, firstborn, Passover. You should have known. It's not that you really don't trust God. You don't want to trust God. You prefer to trust yourself. Because you cannot manipulate God. When you get the hang of it, it's easy. It's like breathing. You know? You no longer feel like a fish out of water. You're like, am I doing it right? <laughs> you know? Um, it's just, it just becomes life, and it's just it's comforting. It's peaceful. Right? The storm is raging everywhere else, but you're like, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Somehow it's going to work out. People are like, it's not going to work out. You need to do something. Eh. The house is burning down. It's not. It's not going to burn down to the ground. It's going to be a little charred here and there, but it'll be fine. You know, and that anxiety decreases. The uncomfortability decreases. There's liberty and peace within that, you know, and because um, you, you start, similar to what I was trying to say with Minister Money, but you start, it's like being in one of those transformers. It's like you start understanding how that thing works. It's like, oh, okay, versus like, you know, you know, destroying stuff along the way. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, you can just probably pick up a little pin. Look at there, look at me, like, you know. <laughs> at some point, you make a turn and say, There's, I'm training for functionality, for appointment. You know, there was a consecration. Now I'm really... I'm learning the appointment, I, I'm how to move in this, you know, and uh, it's because appointment is on the way. That's just the way it works. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> you sat in it for a while. Yeah, you like that? Now let's, let's make some stuff. Let's build some stuff. Build some stuff. All right, use this lever to you move this, you know, and then that becomes a whole new ball game, and it is like you have to start all over again. You can't be scared of the appointment when you were trained for the appointment. That doesn't work. I mean, you're, it doesn't happen. 
if you know that you were trained for a particular appointment, when you're in it, even though it is challenging and hard, you know, but I was built for this. Pastoring is a hard job, absolutely difficult. But every time I run into immense challenges, I have complete assurance that I was created for this appointment, trained for it in ways that I didn't even anticipate I was being trained for. I didn't even know that that was, I'm glad I did that. I needed that over here, you know? And it, that's, it, that's the way he is, right? So you don't have to fear challenges in your appointment because you will have the assurance that your training was specifically for that. And so now you're like, you're a professional. <laughs> they call you in for the tough stuff because you are the professional. A person that does not, is not a professional in that field, they should be nervous, all right? They should be fearful. You're going to be careful, and that is different, all right? I'm going to be careful as I move in this difficult thing, but I don't have to be fearful, all right? All right, y you're not in your appointed thing, nor is your training done, so you don't have that assurance right now. But you have to believe it by faith, by looking at me as the one that's ahead of you and go, don't worry, you will not be afraid in your appointments. Amen. You know, how, m how many people feel like they are... They, they are at a stage of reformation. They're at a season of reformation in their lives, and this message happened right at that season. Can you show hands? Do you know what that means? Emphatically, number one, that's prophetic. And number two, he emphatically wants to use you. He does not allow his word to meet you at the specific time and phase in your life unless he plans to use you greatly. When God told Jeremiah, I formed you, consecrated you, and appointed you, it was because he was planning to use Jeremiah right then and there to be a prophet. He's like, we starting. This is what we doing. Right? So anytime you see that you are living what the word of God is it's bringing forth and it just so happened to fall at that season in your life, then please know that season is definitely because God intends to use that. Use you and use that. I've seen it in my own self. Okay? Over and over and over again. All right? Oh, you, you're doing something. What <laughs> I mean, I know what it is, but at my stage, I go, I automatically know this is about to be used for something. You know, I don't know, if, you know, sometimes we, we talk about the series that what I had, signs and visions. Like, I never had that before. Like, I had three back and back. I don't know what's going on. God about to use this. And it turned out to be a rough and very fruitful year, <laughs> right? Because it just happened to fall in line right there. And so what's just happened is what God was declaring that had nothing to do with you, right, in him declaring. It's not like he looked at you and go, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say reformation. No, he was already going to say reformation and all your days made sure that you got here in time for that word. That's a blessing. That's a blessing standing all over the house. Amen.